0: Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories, with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring workday.
1: This holiday season, let Paramount Pictures take you for the ride of your life with Airplane 2, the sequel. Get your ticket for the funniest movie of the year. Airplane 2, the sequel.
2: I got smoking, non smoking, first class, coach, economy, by the aisle, by the window.
1: Airplane 2, the sequel, reunites old friends.
2: Ted, I have the strangest feeling we've been through this exact same thing before.
1: Except this time I know exactly what I'm doing, Elaine. Well, my goodness, Scraps is a boy dog, isn't he? Airplane 2 gives give you more drama.
2: We've been thrown off course just a tad. In space terms, that's about half a million miles. The bumps you feel are asteroids smashing into the hull of the ship. We're also out of coffee.
1: More action. Is that your puppy, son?
2: Yeah, his Scraps and he's going to the moon with us.
3: Oh, no, I'm sorry. No dogs are allowed on the shuttle. I'm afraid Scraps will have to be shot.
1: And more romance. Sir, you should
2: really put that case in the compartment above your head.
1: I'll, I'll keep it with me.
2: Well, I can
4: help you if you can't get it up. The word is out. Now, what kind of traveler's checks were they?
1: Oh, they were American.
4: Excess. Oh, I'm afraid you're screwed.
1: Oh, Amoy. See, Airplane 2, the sequel, because It will grow hair on bald men Make fat ladies thin Let fish breathe out of water Make blind men see Give hope to the depressed and the downtrodden Let the sun shine on a cloudy day Remove warts Help convicts go straight Clear up bad skin Turn an upside down cake right side up And by the way You may now remove your 3D glasses and immediately return them to the attendant in the lobby. We hope your use of these glasses has enhanced your enjoyment of scenes from Airplane 2, the sequel, the funniest comedy of the year. Airplane 2, the sequel.
0: Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Airplane 2, the sequel from 1982. The studio Paramount Pictures released a December 10th, 1982, with a running time of 85 minutes. The rating is PG, the budget was $15 million, and the box office took in $27.2 million, making it the 28th ranked movie of 1982. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 42% rotten from 19 reviews. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 2 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. The first 5 or 10 minutes of Airplane 2, the sequel, are genuinely funny. So funny, I thought that maybe this movie was going to work. That turned out to be a premature hope. The new inspirations quickly run out, and Airplane 2 turns into a retread, plundering the same situations and characters that made the original airplane so funny. Too bad, but I can't say I wasn't warned. Three weeks ago, the nation's film critics received letters from a Los Angeles public relations agency advising us that their clients, David Zucker, Jim Abrams, and Jerry Zucker, the makers of the original airplane, had no connection with the sequel. That made sense, since the original airplane was such a berserk, manic celebration of every possible zany idea involving airplanes, how could they possibly have enough material left over for a second movie? Still, there was always the possibility that new talent could come along with new ideas for a sequel. And that was what I was hoping for with Airplane 2. It doesn't work out that way. After the movie's opening burst of comic inspiration, it settles into a pattern, recycling the original airplane, and even repeating some of the jokes, like the one involving Peter Graves as the licentious, perverted pilot. <laughs> <laughs> the big difference this time is that the aircraft isn't a passenger jet, but a space shuttle to the moon. After the onboard computer goes haywire, the shuttle departs from course and hurtles through the asteroid belt as it begins to fall towards the sun. I think the asteroid belt and the sun are in opposite directions, but that, of course, is the last kind of question you're supposed to ask during a movie like this. There was a strange thing about the original airplane. Even though it was a spoof, even though it was an anarchic plot, put on from beginning to end, it somehow did hook into our fears of flying. At some dumb basic level, we were concerned about how that airplane was ever going to get back to Earth again, and our concern gave the movie a narrative thread from beginning to end. Just like the original 1970 Airport, itself a pretty silly movie, the original spoof worked partly because of how we feel about airplanes. Airplane 2 never really seems to know whether it's about a spaceship. It's all sight gags, one-liners, puns, funny signs, and scatological cross-references. There's no story. I'm not saying a movie this silly needs to have a story, but wouldn't have hurt. Another difference between Parts 1 and 2 is that the first movie was able to exploit our association with its stars, particularly Lloyd Bridges and Robert Stack and Peter Graves. They play against their own images as only they could. Part 2 doesn't really use them. It just hires them and has them stand around doing the dumb stuff in the script. The first movie was satire. The second is yucks. And yet, if Airplane 2, the sequel ever turns up on a double bill with a movie you do want to see, I'd suggest staying in the theater for the first ten minutes. The gags involving the metal detectors, the check-in counter, and the passenger unloading zone are really funny. Maybe the makers of Airplane 2 exhausted their powers of comic invention at that point, because comedy is fairly hard work. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Ebert just nails it for this film. But this is like comedy comfort food for me. I know I shouldn't be eating it, or even enjoying it as much as I do, but every now and then, I'll put on the sequel and be amused. It's not even in the same league as the original, but I know that going in. So since I saw both the original and the sequel around the same time when I was a kid because of home video, I was too young when they were first released, I would often confuse some of the jokes that appeared in the sequel thinking they were in the original. Okay, let's get into the main cast. You have the returning characters of Robert Hayes, Julie Haggerty, Peter Graves, Lloyd Bridges, Stephen Stucker, even though he's been called Johnny for some reason. You can also check out my original episode. It was episode 200, I believe, where I covered the original Airplane. That is a classic and my favorite movie of all time. All right, as Ebert mentioned, the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams, who were the writers and directors for the original, They were dead set against a sequel, and were never involved, nor have they ever seen the sequel. Frankly, I see where they were coming from, and you have to admire their integrity, because I guarantee they were offered tons of money to do a sequel. But where else could you really take the film? And this sequel kind of proves that, as you will hear. The director and screenwriter of the sequel was Ken Finkelman. Funny enough, that same year he wrote the sequel to Grease. And I guess he was Paramount's go-to sequel guy when the original folks bowed out. Okay, let's get into the film. So in the original Airplane, the movie, it started with a Jaws parody, including the Jaws theme song with the top of the plane flying through clouds like Jaws in the water. In the sequel, it's a Star Wars parody with a spaceship and the falling title sequence appearing on screen from bottom to top. By the close of this 20th century, construction of colonies in the lunar surface had begun and with this colonization came a new era in space travel. As our story opens, Mayflower One, the first passenger shuttle to the moon, prepares for its maiden voyage, a voyage filled with hope, yet destined for disaster. Meanwhile, in a galaxy far, far away, Princess Samora lay back in her bed as the handsome young knight enters the room. The princess slipped off her robe, revealing her silky white thighs. The knight embraced her roughly, and then begins to caress her soft, round... And then a spaceship comes crashing through the title sequence. We then cut to Houston, the future, and we hear the same original theme from the first airplane. We get a few timely jokes of the era, like this is 1982. As a courtesy bus for Iran Air arrives at the airport with some armed men getting out of the van with blindfolded hostages in tow. Another side gag is the metal detector where people walk through. The buzzer goes off for all the men that walk through, while a bell goes off for the women, and the video screen shows them topless. And frankly, with airport security, this is likely happening today, with the chamber you have to enter now. We then get another joke, which was very
2: 1982. Operator, can I help you? On home, on home. $6 million for the first three minutes.
0: So in the first film, the young boy who was in the cockpit and that Captain Over was quite fond of was named Joey. In this film, it's Jimmy. <laughs> this definitely led to confusion when trying to quote Captain Over. Even before we get on the plane, you can assume that Jimmy will be the guest in Captain Over's cockpit. The slight difference is that the Jimmy character brings his dog, Scraps, on the plane.
1: That's us. Will Scraps be able to sit with us, Dad? We'll have to check, Jimmy. It's a pretty long trip to the moon. Hi there. Can I help you folks? Thanks. Oh, is that your puppy, son?
2: Yeah, his name's Scraps, and he's going to the moon with us. <laughs>
1: oh, no. No dogs are allowed on the shuttle, son. I'm afraid Scraps will have to be shot.
2: Scraps! He shot him! He shot Scraps! That's joking. blank
3: C. Scraps (laughs)
0: is (laughs) fine. The Harry Krishnas have their own airline in this film called Transcendental Air, and you can sit in one of the chanting or non-chanting sections. Another passenger is told that she can only have one carry-on and chooses to check in her baby in a basket with the luggage. And I think that's a wise choice. So as you heard from the Jimmy and Scraps clip... A shuttle is flying passengers to the moon. We then see Elaine, Julie Haggerty, reprise her role from the first film. However, she's not with Ted. She's with a pilot named Simon Kurtz, played by Chad Everett, and she's now engaged to him. Another funny sight gag is the metal detector again. This time, the guards let people in with weapons and artillery right through, while detaining a little old woman and patting her down. In the meantime, it seems our old friend and hero, Ted Stryker, has told Elaine that the space shuttle program needs some more time to test before launching. However, he had another mental breakdown, and Simon disregards Ted's evaluation. But you can still tell that Elaine still cares about Ted. Another 1982 gag is when we cut to the Ronald Reagan Hospital for the Mentally Ill. (laughs) (laughs) We cure people the old-fashioned way. Now, this goes back to when Reagan was the governor of California in the late 1960s, and he made budget cuts to the mental hospitals. However, what's never talked about, two years later, he reversed his budget cuts and increased spending to a record amount for the time. Of course, this is always left out by his detractors, but I digress. In any case, this is where Ted is being held, and his doctors is played by the great John Vernon. And we get the first repeat of a main gag from the first film as Ted tells a story from his past to the doctor and the patients listening decide to shoot themselves because of the boredom of Ted's story. During a maintenance check of the shuttle, one of the crew finds faulty wiring and the Sarge, played by Chuck Connors, calls for Bug Kruger, played by Rip Torn, that he feels strongly that the shuttle should not fly. However, Kruger only cares about the bad press of another delay and says to proceed, no matter what, with the launch. Back to the funny farm, Ted decides to break out of the mental hospital after reading a newspaper about the shuttle launch. We then go back to the airport and a nervous man named Joe Salucci, played by Sonny Bono, is at a gift shop buying a few things for the flight, including a time bomb. It's nice that the gift shop has them for last minute shopping and terrorist activities. In a nod to the original film again, Ted catches up with Elaine to plead that she not go on the shuttle flight due to safety concerns. Elaine believes Ted is still suffering a mental breakdown and goes on the flight as planned. But you know, Ted will never sit back idly while Elaine leaves. In any case, we then meet our flight crew.
3: Gentlemen, I'd like you to meet your captain. Captain, over. Gentlemen,
1: welcome aboard. Captain, your navigator, Mr.
3: Unger, and your first officer, Mr. Dunn.
1: Unger? Over. Over. done. Gentlemen, let's get to work. Unger, didn't you serve under-over in the Air Force? Uh, not directly. Technically, Dunn was under-over and I was under-Dunn. Yep. So, Dunn, you were under-over and over Under. Yep. Uh, that's right. Dunn was over Under, and I was over-Dunn. So, you see, both Dunn and I were under-over, even though I was under-Dunn. Dunn was over Under, and I was over-Dunn.
3: Do you have any tickets for the lunar shuttle?
2: Oh, I'm afraid there haven't been any available seats on that shuttle for weeks now, sir. Single. Check them out, y'all. Four hundred dollars, Looney Shuttle ticket. Check out, Looney Shuttle. Smoking? What you want? What have you got? Looney Shuttle tickets, four hundred dollars. I got smoking, non-smoking, first class, coach, economy. By the hour by the window. Take it easy, my man.
0: So the flight takes off, and we get to meet some of the passengers. Joe is reading Psycho Month <laughs> magazine, <laughs> while a priest on the flight is reading the latest issue of Alter Boy.
2: Hello. Uh, We'll be serving breakfast in a few minutes. Will all three of you be eating? Yes, thank you. And, Jimmy, when you're finished, if you like, I'll take you up front and you can take a look at the cockpit. Gee, that'll be neat. Hmm? I'm sure I'm glad they let Scraps right up here with us, Dad.
1: I bet Scraps is gonna love the moon.
2: Do you think things will be a lot different on the moon, Dad?
1: Oh, it's gonna be terrific. whole new world, new kids to play with.
2: Does that mean no more headlines about the rape trial?
1: How many kids get a chance to live on another planet?
2: No more kids yelling? Your old man's a psychopathic sex pervert?
4: Look, a man can make an honest mistake. Anyway, she was asking for it. They're all asking for it all the time.
2: Dad never slaps me around at home. It must be his coffee. No, I've been serving Dad decaf. Hmm. Maybe he's just an asshole.
3: You know, dear, this reminds me of the first train trip we ever took. Out to your mother's house, remember? How could I forget?
2: You were so nervous about meeting my mama. And I declare you were pacing the aisle all the way from St. Louis to Sioux Falls.
1: (laughs) And how about the time we hopped in the family car and drove all the way to Woodstock? Ah, That was a time. And you got hold of that bad acid
2: and didn't come down for two weeks. You kept telling everyone that you were Jesus Christ and then you... Jump a roof because you thought you could fly. What a bummer. No shit.
0: (laughs) So the last couple was in the first film. The woman who was the one who had the eggs coming out of her mouth after the food poisoning, that's who that is. Also, we get another flashback from Ted as he sits next to an older woman. She was the same in the first film that hanged herself after being bored to death by one of Ted's you know famous stories. In the sequel, she never claims to get airsick, but then starts vomiting after Ted's boring stories. (laughs) Anyway, Ted talks about the trial that led to his mental breakdown after the flight to Chicago in the first film. I couldn't believe what was happening to me.
3: I think it's important that we establish a few facts so that these people will be prepared to make a fair decision. First, were you or were you not the chief test pilot for the Lunar Shuttle XR2300? Yes. Now, on the fifth day of October this year, that shuttle crash landed during a test flight. Were you or were you not the pilot on that flight? Yes, but I wasn't... And, Mr. Stryker, is it not true that that crash was a direct result of your incompetence? No! The problem was with that ship, not with me. And that thing was a flying death trap. (laughs) Do you swear on the Constitution of the United States to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God?
2: Ain't no thing.
1: Would you describe, in your own words, what happened that night? Check it, bleed. Bro was on. Oh, didn't trip, but the folks was freaking, man. Hey, and the pilots were laid to the bone, home. Some blood hammered out and jam Jim. Shit, tighten that bad sucker side of the runway like a mother. Oh, shit.
2: I know I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for Mr. Stryker. I find it difficult, even now, to think about that night over Chicago
1: please try mrs hammond it's very important
2: well we we lost the crew and the food poisoning made us all very ill i lost control we all did and then the bad weather and the lightning i gotta get out of here
1: Please,
2: let me handle this.
1: I've got to get out Calm down. now. get back to your seat. I'll take care of this. Problem. Calm down. Get a hold
2: Don't be your one on the phone. Everything's going to be important. I've got to get out of here. This is
1: very important. Let the court handle this.
2: Yeah.
3: Please control yourself! Maleth, valium!
1: I flew with Stryker during the war. I'll never forget the night we bombed Macho Grande. Stryker was a squadron leader. He brought us in real low. but he couldn't handle it. Buddy couldn't handle it? Was Buddy one of your crew? Right. Buddy was the bombardier. But it was Stryker who couldn't handle it. And he went to pieces. Andy went to pieces? No! Andy was the navigator. He was all right. Buddy went to pieces. It was awful. Howie came unglued. Howie came unglued? Oh, no. Howie was a rock. The best tail gunner in the outfit. Buddy came unglued. And he bailed out. No, Andy hung tough. Buddy bailed out. How we survived was a miracle. Then Howie survived. No, afraid not. We lost Howie the next day. Over Macho Grande? No, I don't think I'll ever get over Macho Grande. Those wounds run...
0: Pretty. By the way, the judge in the courtroom is none other than Raymond Burr. We then cut back to the plane and the old woman has just turned into a skeleton. Ted has killed again. <laughs> However, there are far greater problems as the plane's main computer is beginning to malfunction, as Ted always feared. And then Jimmy and Scraps get to meet Captain Over in the cockpit. Jimmy,
1: you like know it when, when Scraps holds onto your leg and rubs up and down? Jimmy, do you ever wonder why dogs sniff each other in that? Well, Captain, is everything ain't okay? Yes, everything's fine, right, Jimmy?
0: And now the crew has to deal with Rock, the computer, malfunctioning.
1: What are you doing, Dave? Well,
0: sir, the computer has suffered some pretty bad damage.
1: This is highly irregular. Right. Right. I just hope we can still control Rock's higher brain function, sir. Do what's necessary. I'll go to manual control on all down systems. Yes, sir, we will. Jesus!
3: There. Look.
4: I'm afraid there's nothing out there but empty space. I swear, I... The defendant suffers from chronic psychological stress and in a pressure situation can snap just like that. Like that. Like that.
3: Like that. Maybe they were right about me. My God, maybe I am cracking up.
2: What's happening, Captain?
1: We're off course and computer locked. That Fire and Rock's core must have played havoc with its higher brain functions.
4: Captain, Mr. Dunn and Mr. Unger were sucked out in airlock in the computer room. Both together? Mr. Dunn and
2: Mr. Unger were sucked out in airlock in the computer room.
1: Don't panic down ladies now are there any other problems
2: can't can we run out of coffee damn
1: if i told him once i told him a hundred times store extra coffee
0: <laughs> peter graves delivers the last line perfectly and now it's time for elaine to calm the passengers
2: ladies and gentlemen please calm down please listen to me i want to tell you what's going on with the ship Thank you. We've been thrown off course just a tad. What's a tad? What exactly is a tad? In space terms, that's about half a million miles.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
2: The bumps you feel are asteroids smashing into the hull of this ship. Also, we're flying without a navigational system and can't seem to change course. Miss,
4: are you telling us absolutely everything?
2: Not exactly. We're also out of coffee. (laughs) Listen to me. Your crew is in complete control of the situation. Trust me, there's absolutely
0: nothing to worry about. So you can't tell because it's an audio clip, but the ringing you hear is the cabin lights that turn on, that read bullshit, and unbelievable bullshit. (laughs) And in a nod to the original Mission Impossible TV series that Peter Gray starred in, when Captain Over attempts to disconnect Rock, Rock gasses him, and then the Mission Impossible theme song plays. So the shuttle is heading for the sun, and they need someone in command that can handle a crisis. So it's time to bring back Steve McCroskey, Lloyd Bridges.
4: Get me some coffee, miss. Yes, sir. A quarter geritol and a ham on rye. No cheese. Yes, sir. Welcome home, sir. Here's a navigational chart, sir. Good, good. Get me radio contact with that ship. Pronto. Pronto.
0: Here's all the available information on the sun, sir. That thing is hot.
4: Hey! Get me Bud Kruger immediately. Yes, sir. And some ice. Yes, sir. Jacobs. I want to know absolutely everything that's happened up to now. Well, let's see. First, the earth cooled, and then the dinosaurs came, but they got too big and fat, so they all died and they turned into oil. And then
2: the Arabs came and they bought Mercedes Benzes, and Prince Charles started wearing all of Lady Di's clothes. I couldn't
4: believe it. He took her best summer dress out of the closet and put it on and went to town. Things sure haven't changed.
0: Now, for whatever reason, Johnny is now called Jacobs. Anyway, Simon shows his true colors to Elaine and says they should forget the ship and bail. Elaine is, of course, disgusted by Simon's selfishness and pleads with Ted to take over the ship to get it back on course. It takes a bit, but finally Ted agrees to fly the ship. Ted,
2: I have the strangest feeling we've been through this exact same thing before.
4: At last, a that's more like it. Yeah, this is Mission Control. Identify yourself and give me your position.
3: My name's Stryker. I'm sitting down and facing
4: front. Why would you want to know that? Stryker? Striker, 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 striker,
2: striker, striker. (laughs) Striker.
4: Ted striker? That's right, McCroskey. All right. All right, now here's what you do. Stay calm. Keep an eye on those gauges. Things are really gonna start to heat up. We'll try to figure out some way around that computer from down here. Over and out.
3: We're gonna have to blow the computer.
2: Blow rock? That's right, Lee. Ted, there's no way you can do it. What do you mean? That computer has a self-defense mechanism. I don't know how we can get around it. We've already lost three men, and I don't want to lose you too, Ted.
3: And I guess it's in God's hands now.
1: I'm Father O'Flanagan. I'm a man of God. And you must trust me when I say it's very likely that we're all going to die. <laughs>
3: our top story tonight four alarm fire rages through downtown buffalo also in the news lunar shuttle heads for the sun and certain disaster our top story tonight four alarm fire rages through downtown tokyo also in the news american lunar mission locked in death struggle A four-alarm fire in downtown Moscow clears way for a glorious new tractor factory. And on the lighter side of the news, hundreds of capitalists are soon to perish in shuttle disaster.
2: He was run by vegetarian women rather than flesh-eating men this whole space disaster would never have happened you know right now we're working to raise the consciousness of the vegetarian minorities with diet sensitivity training so that people will be able to deal with the foul fall- the
4: key to this whole thing is their computer until we can figure out a way to put that ship on manual there's nothing we can do for them from down here get me that computer program yes sir who's in charge here McCroskey, control. Halleck, commissar. Jacobs.
0: Also, McCroskey has just been informed about Joe Salucci carrying a bomb, and now Ted has to deal with that. Mary?
4: Yes?
3: Which passenger is Joe Salucci?
2: 16C, why? He's
3: carrying a bomb. A bomb? No, not a bu- A bomb. Now, as discreetly as possible, I want you to move the passengers into the lounge.
2: We don't have a lounge.
3: That's not important right now. What you've gotta do is get those people away from that bomb.
2: Well, what should I say?
3: Anything. Just don't let Salucci think that we're on to him.
2: I'll do my best. Attention, ladies and gentlemen, please. Would everybody move to the lounge who is not carrying a bomb? Don't move!
3: Mr. Salucci, they know about you back home. Stay where
4: you
2: are!
3: Joe! You don't want to blow that thing and kill all these innocent people? I don't care about them. Joe, listen to me. It's hopeless. No one's ever gotten away with a stunt like this before. Joe, the insurance is worthless now. I don't believe you. Joe, you gotta trust me. No one has to know what's your problem. No one has to know you're impotent.
2: Don't say that word! <laughs>
4: bomb's right here beside me right there beside you in the cockpit striker what the hell are you doing up there
3: i got an idea macrosky and it might just work
4: it's a long shot but it's the only shot we've got i want to use the bomb to blow the computer striker you've got to be crazy to try a stunt like that i'm taking her to 0.5 warp 0.5 warp striker listen to me now and listen good That thing is bound to come apart on you at that speed. And that's no good. It's got to be in one piece when you land on the moon. You know damn well that that warp drive has never been tested. You're putting yourself and everybody else on that ship in jeopardy.
1: Over here. I can test in 38.
4: Stryker, listen to me now and listen good. You're going to be on lunar radio range any second. Next transmission that you receive will be from Buck Murdoch at Alpha Beta Base. And Stryker, the Sun, we're all betting on ya. I'll
1: take oh, they five to women all die. Eight to five, the women and show. Eight to five,
2: they all die. Six to four, 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 they lose the
4: crew. 0.5 warp God help. Nobody's ever traveled at that speed before. <laughs>
2: Some of you are wondering, we are traveling one half the speed of light. Some of you might experience a temporary metabolic change, but there's nothing to worry about.
0: So that temporary metabolic change had all the passengers look like Richard Nixon, by the way. (laughs) We then cut to the lunar base on the moon, led by Commander Buck Murdoch, played by the great William Shatner. He's basically playing the Robert Stack role from the original film. And, well, he acts like William Shatner. Of course, this is all a nod to Captain Kirk and Star Trek.
4: What is it, Lieutenant? Sir, the Mayflower's in trouble. She's coming in hotter than a firecracker, sir. We
3: better get to the tower, Lieutenant.
4: We have no tower, sir. No tower? Just a bridge, sir.
3: Why the hell aren't I notified about these things? Lieutenant, how would you handle this? We could try ignoring it, sir. I see Pretend nothing has happened and hope everything turns out all right in the morning. Just a thought, sir. I've considered that. There's got to be a better angle. Shh. 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 If they've lost their crew and are manual, who's in control of that bucket, Lieutenant? Some guy by the name of Ted Stryker, sir. Ted Stryker. Do you know him, sir? Never heard of him. That's not exactly true. We were like brothers. We flew together during the war. We were close, real close, until. Until, sir? Until that day over Macho Grande. Over Macho Grande, sir? No, I'm afraid I'll never get over a Macho Grande. Forget it, Lieutenant. It wasn't a pretty picture. Let's go. Right, sir. What have you found? All i found is that these red lights keep moving back and forth. Aside from that, this thing seems to have no other function whatsoever, sir. That's well, impossible. It must have some sort of function. I mean, why would the government put all that money into a thing with red lights that keep going back and forth? Doesn't make any sense. Keep working on it. Sir, yes, sir,
4: these lights keep blinking out of sequence, sir. I see. What should we do about it, sir? Get them to blink
3: in sequence. You. Rorschach. What do you got?
4: Well, we've run these tests, sir. Thank
3: you, Rorschach. What do you make of these, Captain? That's a bird. That's a cow. That's a horse with a hat on it.
1: Sir, I pulled Ted Stryker's record. And? I don't think you're gonna like it. God, that's worse than my phone. Sir. They should hit our atmosphere in about three minutes. How
3: do you wanna play it? I want a six foot trench dug around the entire base, filled with gasoline. Sir. You. Yes, sir. Get the women and children to the lower shelters. Contact the Japanese ambassador. Sir. Rozek. Yes, sir. Get me a complete file on everyone who's seen the sound of music more than four times. Yes, sir. On second thought, kill those orders. Downscope. Fate can play a strange game sometimes, Lieutenant. Fate, sir? Stryker wipes out his entire squadron over Macho Grande, and now those people's lives up there are in his hands. I guess irony can be pretty ironic sometimes. But it's his ship now. He's the top dog. The big man. Numero uno honcho. The head cheese. I just hope he has the right stuff. Up scope. Sir, we have radio contact. Stryker, this is Buck Murdoch and Alpha Beta. Do you read me over? I read you, Murdoch. Hope he's not still bitter about what happened between us during the war. If it weren't for those people up there, I'd say let Ted Stryker go down in a fiery, twisted, mass of molten metal. Okay, Stryker, let's just pray you don't screw up here like you did over Macho Grande. So just follow orders. Roger. They got you locked on beams and like get ready to kill your auxiliary engines. Roger, Murdoch. All right, Stryker, kill the auxiliary engines. Murdoch, the damn lever just came off of my hand, and we're still at warp. Try another lever. There are no more levers, just switches. No buttons? No, no buttons, just switches, lights, and knobs. Oh, cut the bleeding heart crap, will you? We've all got our switches, lights, and knobs to deal with, Stryker. I mean, down here, there are literally hundreds and thousands of blinking, beeping, and flashing lights. Blinking and beeping and flashing. They're flashing and they're beeping. I can't stand it anymore. They're blinking and beeping yes, and sir, flashing. Sir, Why doesn't somebody pull them sir? I'm all right. I'm all right. All right, Stryker. You're going to have to pull that lever panel off. Do you understand? Just rip it off! Roger. Striker, find a piece of metal and shove it in there. piece of metal? Hurry, Striker. Any piece of metal will do. I give my right arm to got a piece of metal from this room up to that poor boob right now. I mean, here we are, surrounded by metal. Purvis? And it's useless. Might as well write them off. Let's close up the bridge. Let's get out of here. Close it up. Lights out. Oh. I think I've got something that just might work. Wait,
0: a bobby pin.
3: A bobby pin? What the hell's a man doing with a bobby pin? Huh? Lights on.
2: All right, all
3: right, Striker. If a bobby pin's all you got, it'll have to do. Just shove it in there. You're gonna have to short that thing out.
4: Starting to shake.
3: He's starting to shake. Starting to shimmy. She's starting to shimmy. Starting to... Starting to, uh... What? What is she starting to do? Stryker, what is she starting to do? Shudder, Ted. She's starting to shudder. She's starting to shudder.
2: How bad is it, sir?
3: It's not good, but at least she's not beginning to crack up. She's beginning to crack up. Ah! monitoring you all away striker keep her nose up don't fight her i'm trying but she's fighting me striker we don't have a hell of a lot of time but i want to tell you this you pull us off and there's gonna be a lot of people who just might forget that macho grande ever happened we're gonna get her down and down safe striker we've just hooked into a radio communications satellite as we speak our transmission's a bit broadcast all over the world. Billions of people hanging on our every word. The eyes, ears, noses, and throats of every American are on you, Ted. Each one of them hoping and praying that you can put that ship down on the ground in one piece. Now, Tiger, start by positioning your landing gear. Put on your horizon sensor and level her off. Oh,
4: fire both those jets and hang out with both hands. I said both hands, damn it. Hold fighter striker Hold her steady. Hold her up. Get those turbochargers. Now
3: check the sensors. Deploy your secondary boosters.
0: And that's it. They live happily ever after. And you even get a tease of what never happened. A post credit scene shows a screen that says, Coming from Paramount Pictures, Airplane 3. And then Murdoch is then seen saying, that's exactly what they'll be expecting us to do. Now again, of course, this movie doesn't even come close to the iconic original. However, it has its moments. It's a nice change-up every now and then for me. And, hell, I'll put it on from time to time. I even watch Police Academy 4 every now and then. Alright, some fun facts. At a pre-screening of this movie, the audience was given 3D glasses as they entered the theater. After several minutes into the blurry film which of course were distorted by the 3D glasses everyone had done, the pre-screeners realized that the film was not in 3D. The audience had been duped, but it is unclear by whom. Leslie Nielsen turned down an offer to return as Dr. Rumack due to his commitment to the comedy series Police Squad, which was of course created by Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker. That, was, as you know, is the creative team behind the original airplane from 1980. Now his character appears in a flashback from the first film and his character was replaced by Dr. Stone who was portrayed by John Vernon in the courtroom scenes. Robert Stack was also asked to reprise his role as Rex Kramer from the original Airplane but he declined ultimately because he felt the script was a basic retread of the first movie. Alright, that's it! Hopefully you enjoyed. If not, there'll be another movie next week and Totally Random from my DVD collection. Come hang out and chill with Brian a. Davis and the Bad Batbeak. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.